0: From Immersive Labs, this is Cyber Humanity. Hello again, I'm your host Chris Pace. Cyber Humanity is the podcast taking cyber security personally trying to get inside the heads of hackers as well as putting our feet in the shoes of defenders. These podcasts essentially come in two flavours, either us ranting about themes close to the hearts of security types or us chatting about threat and security stuff from recent weeks. As always, I'm joined by three of my peaceful protesters, Hmm. Paul Bentham, (laughs) Max Vetter and Kev Breen. Hello, hello, hello. hello. Now, we are going to start. So, we're not going to talk about any presidential stuff. We're not at the beginning of the podcast. We're not even going to talk about solar winds. I'm sorry. I've decided. You can only talk about one thing at the start of each podcast for two in a row maximum. Otherwise, it all gets a bit out of hand. We have still got some stuff to talk about, unbelievably, but we are going to keep it until a little bit later in the podcast. Nobody needs that in their life. I don't want to say that I'm sick of hearing. Well, let's just talk about it briefly. Is anyone sick of hearing about, is I anyone how of hearing about it? I know we're talking about not talking about it. No, <laughs> I, know, talking it, about it I know, but it's that thing where I've got a Google Alert set up and it's literally pinging all day long.
1: It is the story that keeps on giving. Uh, there's always something new and some of it's interesting and some of it's FUD and some of it's entirely pointless.
0: Anyway, we're going to get to it later on. But we're going to start off by talking about um Bitcoin. I'm assuming that we all have all at some point in our lives lost, a, lost or forgotten a password. Have we ever lost or forgotten a password that we've never been able to retrieve? Uh, a couple, yeah. How can you not retrieve yours if you've lost it?
1: So I use public-private key to lock files. It's not strictly speaking a password, but it is a method of locking stuff, uh, and I lost the I couldn't remember the password for the private key I set, uh, which means I have the key, I have the stuff that was encrypted, but I have no way of actually using it.
2: Well, I once forgot my password to a very early ICQ number, and I think we've forgotten, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but I was very proud of my, I think it was a four-digit... Oh, this
0: because you were, uh, yeah, sorry, at the beginning you said, oh, remember when I was talking about my ICQ, and I was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about, but if you'd have said I was an original gangster, then I would have remembered <laughs> what you were talking about.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, right, so the original gangster episode, right, yeah, so I had most low-digit. And it must have been that it wasn't linked. I it's so early in my internet career; I can't even remember. But I guess the problem is if you have a number that's got a password, but it's not linked to something like an email address where you do a password reset flow, then you've it's lost forever. And I was devastated. I had this OG ICQ. We didn't even call ourselves original gangsters back then, but I was sort of in the first ten thousand gangsters, and lost it, and was sad.
0: And so. this is the same as this is the same as the h- horrific um almost like reboot loop that I got stuck in with a Vodafone because Vodafone insists on giving you a username instead of just letting you use your email. And then when you've forgotten your password, you have not only forgotten your password, you've also then forgotten your username. And then you have to try to get them to send you your username. And then go through the horrific password reset process. And the whole thing is a nightmare and just end up going round and round and round and round in circles. Anyway, so we're basically saying that we have all at some point in our lives lost uh, passwords to things. Uh, Max, do you want to tell us perhaps uh, w- uh, your story? <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's yeah. So um, and I actually talked. I talked to my mother about this probably about two years ago, and she was like, "Oh, just just phone the bank up and get set your password for you." And I was like, Pff. "So the thing about Bitcoin is you are your own bank." So yeah, I I, I bought half a Bitcoin uh, as part of uh, I was doing a training course, and and you know I was i i had kind of missed the boat on on mining them and then i was just interested in buying a few things and then playing with the whole thing so i bought bought half a bitcoin for 60 pounds and then i it was on my phone actually on my app on my phone i lost my phone and the backup is secured with a password and i I've forgotten the password, so that didn't that didn't matter when it was like
0: hundred quid, two hundred quid. It's now thirty four thousand um, dollars a bitcoin, isn't it? Yeah. So you've yeah. basically so lost. Fifteen grand. You've lost fifteen thousand pounds <laughs> or fifteen
3: thousand dollars. I do not no, quite really, realise it's fifteen thousand dollars that he's lost. No, I have. I have. I'm. I, I'm, I'm currently already talking to some of our team about using their password cracking rigs. AW, AWS <laughs>
1: GPU cracking rig. Get it fired up there. It's going to cost you like seven, eight hundred.
3: What? But if anything, Kev, Kev, how many, how many Bitcoin did you have? See? Oh, yeah. Okay. See, so I was, too, allowed, I was very early
1: on the Bitcoin trade. I was mining Bitcoin <laughs> like very early. And I. I had 15, 20, 30 coins. Like we were just, we were swimming in them. Uh, and Bitcoin hit, Bitcoin hit like a hundred pound a coin and we like fucking A, like sell, 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 get myself loads of money. So we ended up with like a few grand uh, each because there were, there were two of us that were doing it. Um, fast have you forward.
0: Actually totted, have you totted that up?
1: No, because I don't want to do that.
2: Let's do it now for him. Let's do it now.
0: Okay, well it's well it's over a well it's over a million dollars, yeah, I Kev. Know.
1: I, I mean, if I had the foresight to wait fifteen years um, and not sell them at any other of the peaks that happened through the time.
3: What you needed to do was be as stupid as me and forget your password, so you could not sell it. Because I would have sold and just years forget ago. them and lose them somewhere. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't think his a, a
2: story is as stupid as yours, though, because the world is full of people who sold before p- peaks and, and and. No, I know. I, I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> being facetious. Yeah, he, he is not. There's as only stupid one as
3: stupid
0: We were talking about this last week off air. And then, of course, it's hit the news this week now because there's a so first of all, there was a chap in uh, Germany who has a a, a drive with two hundred and forty million dollars worth of. Uh, of Bitcoin, and that then got reported in the in the New York Times, and basically, it seems like there's this little community of people which Max is actually in, um, who have lost access to their who have lost access to their Bitcoin, and then another story came out that said that the guy the um is it the is he Facebook or Microsoft or
2: oh it's the ex, it's Alex Stamos isn't it that's it, right who's ex Facebook has, security
0: he is in the process of now recruiting people like kev and like people who work at immersive labs to try and find a way to crack this password so that he can get access to his bitcoin as well i think
2: they aren't they doing it so they're looking for side channel attacks on the iron fist thing
1: it's an encrypted drive um, and if you put your password in wrong 10 times the drive wipes itself uh, to prevent like brute forcing attacks and he's tried eight times he's only got two attempts left so the suggestion was is <laughs> instead of it's trying like a
0: move it's like a movie <laughs> instead of yeah, trying like two more times we need, we need a priest
1: <laughs> us. <wellness. laughs> instead of trying a password two more times and like heading your bets, how about buying 10 of these drives uh and then going hunting at the hardware level for either a side channel attack or a bypass um because that way your data is going to remain intact to your Looking for something on the side, um, and there's
0: no cl- there's no like clever way of doing this like that. The yeah. only way that you can do it is essentially what you can you find some way of breaking the hardware is the only way of actually getting around this problem.
1: uh Yeah, so by by somehow bypassing uh the encryption through a side channel attack, and I mean we'll get onto it a little later. There are. This has been done for other bits of hardware, so it is within the realms of uh, probability. Of
2: course, Alex Samus is not doing this out of the love. He
0: said, I'll do it for 10%. (laughs) Uh, There's a great quote from this guy in Germany. Um, Oddly enough, he's now been put off cryptocurrencies. He's not so keen on them as he was before, but he told that article in the New York Times, the whole idea of being your own bank. Let me put it this way. Do you make your own shoes? (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, German. Very good There's
1: 140 billion dollars uh, worth of Bitcoin that's lost,
3: and th- and there is also an interesting um story about a certain police organization that bought some Bitcoin uh, ages ago to do some test purchases. I think I think from Silk Road, so long time ago, and they just left them there. And I wonder if they. I, when I was working with them, they they accidentally realised that they had a few hundred thousand pounds in their, in their <laughs> Bitcoin wallet and didn't know what to do with it because that might um, yeah there's tax implications and there's blah blah, blah. and but now if they still if they still sat on it, uh, I just worked it out. It's now worth twenty five million. So um, and and that tends to make. It tends to make police officers quite corrupt when when things like that happen. <laughs> wow, so, that's a bo- that's wow! A look a look wow. At the rampant right speculation on this podcast. No, it happens all the time. You know, with the Silk Road. <laughs> Silk Road. The, the two police officers investigating him are now in jail because yeah. they tried to extort money oh, out. Really? Of him. Yeah, yeah. It's. um oh I'm not saying it's police officers. It's just <laughs> we don't get paid that well. <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> But we're so, yeah. we not
2: talking about the guy who's in this rubbish dump in in Wales trying to get his hard drive out as well. What's this?
1: <laughs> Searching through the landfill. 2013, uh, a guy throws away a laptop with 7,500 bitcoins. But Yeah,
2: but he's offered to give 25% of it away now to the local... Uh, council to cover covid relief fund and pay for free school meals and anything that he can think of that would let make, mean, <laughs> me mean that the help local me please government find this yeah because well, basically the local council won't let him excavate the landfill because of course they're not stupid they know a is going to cost a lot of money to uh, um, excavate the landfill. B, the probability of finding a hard drive in a landfill is like approaching zero. And then C, when you compound all these probabilities together, the chances of that hard drive, when you find it, actually not being corrupt and being viable, is pre- and then the, and then. He'll probably have forgotten his bloody password, won't he? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Almost certainly. So but uh, so now I'm going to show my ignorance um, around uh, cryptocurrency. So bear with me. <laughs> bear with me, colleagues. All right, Grandad. Uh, so today, like imagine I'm buying Bitcoin today. Do I still have that thing where I'm keeping part of it? Or is that now all totally devolved to the cloud? It's a
1: bit different now. So both both technically both things are true you can still have a private wallet and it's just yours it doesn't exist anywhere except wherever you have it uh most people are now tending towards well was effectively wallet as a service uh so you have a hosted wallet as a bank yeah. um and you use it like a bank so i that's what, that's what i tend to use i don't tend to uh, because, have a local store anymore it, <laughs> because, because it people was, lose it, stuff and
3: they, yeah these these all these stories back in the very first days of Bitcoin one hundred and one, you'd read that all the kind of forums of like, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna take all the banks down, and it's gonna be a whole new world order." And then they're like, "Oh, someone just stole my Bitcoin from my a hacker just stole my Bitcoin," and you're like, "Yeah, it's because you, you you don't have a bank." It's like, "No, but banks are terrible." Oh, oh, that's why banks are there. <laughs> so it's kind of like economics one hundred and one was. Uh-
1: I I have seen the less reputable sites uh, just. Uh, set themselves up and then just steal all of the stuff that was in everybody else's wallets and hide well, that's them what all. That that's So,
2: in a in a wallet as a service isn't that exactly what happens like, so you're trusting somebody else to hold your money which is uh, effectively the dictionary definition of a bank and then all those ex- are they called exchanges or are they called bitcoin exchanges
1: yeah. uh yeah there's
2: and, then, depends, and they've all
3: got yeah. hacked haven't they uh no well, they were Man- all the first one wasn't
1: it yeah, yeah there are there are yeah there are different ways of doing it so you can like use it. You can upload an encrypted wallet and like you can keep a backup of your wallet. So, like, it's not quite as simple. It, there are more reputable exchanges.
0: Um, How do you know? How do you know stock? It's the same thing.
1: Like you, yeah. you go, you read, you do the research, you spend the time, and then you choose where you want to potentially invest. Uh, I mean, Bitcoin's so unstable anyway that you've got to assume that anything you invest is going to be gone tomorrow because it's that, it's that unstable.
3: But the, but it has, as, as we showed, it's gone up, right? And so, so all these fintech companies who have been building Bitcoin startups, and, and there is a lot of money going into them, and now they have a lot more money going into them because because it has gone up it hasn't gone gone down really over time so it's um so there will be reputable people out there that you can use but there's also a lot of unreputable as well
2: the only thing i want to know is what's going to be the future bitcoin that we can mine now and be like talking about this in 10 years time be like i think
3: it's the technology from bitcoin that is gonna i i do believe will will change i think the best analogy i've heard is that it's like um the internet versus world wide web like the internet came along it's like okay we're connecting all these things that's quite cool for certain people and then the world wide web came along and and made it accessible to to everyone And, and that's what they've said kind of bitcoin is at the at the point where it's like are we setting this stuff up to it's for another technology to come along and make it you know change everything from from you know um accounts and and signing notaries and and the whole insurance industry and the whole law industry and loads of stuff apparently um could potentially be um
0: upturned because of the technology.
2: distributed ledger.
0: exactly yeah okay so i don't know if you heard but donald j trump um has been to use modern parlance d platform <laughs> paul did you did you hear about this <laughs> And he's been deplatformed. I think now from pretty much everywhere. I heard earlier today that he's also been deplatformed from um, from YouTube. And so what that has meant is that there was a little migration um, uh, of people holding certain political opinions across to a startup alternative social media platform called Parler that we have very t- tangentially referenced on this podcast before. And then after that, Amazon, Apple and Google um, have all decided to boot Parler from their platform, um, effectively rendering it homeless. This is a very big political, this is kind of a very big political and tech story. Um, And I suppose it, it begs the question, and we've asked this question before. Does this devolve too much power to big technology companies like those three? Are we going to get a political examination of every single new thing that comes along and have Amazon, Apple and Google decide whether they like it or not?
3: I think was was interesting because someone was saying like oh parlor's like the the racist Twitter and I was like I thought Twitter was the racist Twitter <laughs> <laughs> because, <laughs> because that's the and and what and I think I saw something from Jack Dorsey today saying oh, well, it, it, yeah we we did take action this time but it's a very dangerous slope to go down and that, and that's the point right is okay people got killed and it it was an insurrection armed insurrection and that's as far as it's got to get before. These platforms actually step in because you could argue, well, well where, why didn't they step in four years ago when, when when Trump started inciting violence towards all journalists and all? You know, it, it on the other side, it's kind of like, well, they they never step in before, and there's been lots of other, there has been incitement of violence. There's lots of racist things, there's lots of misogynistic things on Twitter and everything else, and and that in a way, they they've all kind of stepped in now, but it's kind of like the Republicans, that it's kind of bit too late right they, they've been standing behind it for four years but
2: what you're talking about max is what happens when the tech companies de-platform for for reasons that really is now marketing like twitter's been banning people for a long time so is facebook says so youtube um <clears throat> i think the interesting thing is that you you now let's just get ourselves out of a u.s centric world and imagine that you're in somewhere else in the world india like taking in like at which point do you now put the ability for your senior elected politicians to talk to your, their uh, constituents through a like a platform in the hands of an American um, or uh, corporate organisation that's going to make decisions about the rules of what can be post based on their own, you know, Bay Area sensibilities? Now at that point. If I'm in, if I'm in India, if I'm in Brazil, if I'm in, well, I mean, Russia and China have already done this themselves. They've got their own uh, networks. Like, it's going to lead to the breakup of these things, I think, and that's going to be to the detriment. and And we already saw this with Parler, right? So, what, so left, you know, liberalism, uh, like, won the day on Twitter. So all the like um, more right wing leaning people moved over to Parler, and then of course Parler's been killed. But like, it's it's going to be we're going to end up in our own thought bubbles on platforms that support the ideas that we want to talk about
0: social media platforms like twitter and facebook have allowed us to do that the internet in and of itself, like we were talking about the filter bubble years ago, the filter bubble in the co- was in the context of, as a target for marketers, what are the things that we show you that you we know you care about, and so therefore when you Google something, why do you get a different result to what I get? That's been going on for years, and all that we've done now is is kind of taken that on to a level where an individual can decide I want to interact with people who are like-minded to me. And so, therefore, I create my own filter bubble, whether I do that inside a platform like Twitter or whether I decide to go and use another platform somewhere else to do it or whether I'm a person that skulks around in forums, you know, doing what. Who who the hell knows what they're doing? But you know what I mean. These places and these dark corners of the internet have always existed, and so the idea that just because it's become part of the political discourse, we are more div- we are more divided is not necessarily true. But what I would say is that there, of course, are now more users of those platforms, and so therefore the division is more amplified than ever. All the studies show that
3: it, the algorithms themselves make money. The more divisive we are. So you could you could actually argue the platforms resulted, if you believe any of the the Cambridge Analytica stuff, potentially resulted in Trump's uh, election in the first place. Secondary, you know, will keeps driving more and more divisiveness. So you could argue that it it, it does come back around to if that alg- all that algorithm cares about is making money or will you make more money if you are more divisive therefore i i think there needs to be a look at how those algorithms are running. If, if it's always about more and more profit it will force us all to vote in our filter bubbles and be more and more divisive and and click on that one because you, you'd really disagree with it or click on that one because really agree with it and it is an interesting it's come kind of full circle really that maybe twitter allowed trump and then trump has gone too far and tr- twitter's kind of stepped in but it is uh, if you if you believe that all that kind of the studies that have been done on that
1: just to bring the tech back a bit so the interesting thing there is the cambridge analytic thing so it's about the how much data was made available to other people uh, that's exactly what's just happened to parlor so in its dying throes uh, so as it was being uh, taken offline uh, there were there was a story that came out and a story that hit reddit and hit twitter uh, that parlor had been hacked um turns out this wasn't, in fact, true. Uh, but what people were saying is that at the same time that AWS had said, like, we're binning you off the service, you've got 24 hours or whatever time they gave them, uh, Twilio, uh, which is a online, effectively like an SMS provider.
2: Yep. Web to SMS gateway.
1: Yeah, thank you. Uh, they also came in and said, actually, we're going to follow suit and we're going to remove your service as well. Now, Parler used that. As a part of or entirely there, um, multi factor authentication uh, and validation, and a few other things like that. Uh, so, when that service was suspended, the rumor was uh, that somebody was able to create themselves admin accounts, uh, gain access to Parler's backend, and dump all of the data, which seemed to match a couple of tweets of somebody saying, I've got access to all of this data. Fast forward a couple of days, we now know the correct story. Uh, it turns out that Parler uh, actually has a uh, an idol, uh, which will uh, Paul. What's an idol?
2: Interdepartmental
1: offshore regatta. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, you know how I like to interject
2: in these podcasts with random things that I like to talk about. When I was a civil servant, I went on an interdepartmental offshore regatta, but the Daily Mail was not very happy with this, and uh... well, I can't
0: think why. Which departments were involved in these shenanigans? The posh ones.
2: (laughs) Well, at this particular time, the passport office... Um, were, were part <laughs> of it. The, 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 oh, there God. was like all kinds of government departments. What was really interesting, because we were talking about this just re- uh, just previously, about this kind of thought bubble, but of course, people that, these kind of filter bubbles, thought bubbles that you get stuck in, we've been in these for years, just based on the papers we read. So all the Daily Mail people who read the Daily Mail, they hate government waste, and they hate government departments, and of course, it makes them very, very angry when civil servants enjoy a booze fueled regatta on taxpayers' expenses. With a beautiful picture of yours truly drinking his Bombay Sapphire gin,
0: <laughs> <laughs> which I had paid for. Thank you. Anyway, so that's what an idor is. No, Kev. What does an idor really? That was a that was crazy. What does an idor? What is an idor
1: really? In web application vulnerability parlance, uh, it is an indirect object reference, which basically means I think my version's better. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> So if you've ever tweeted, you'll see that your tweets have numbers. Uh, that's an ID, so it could be referenced. Um, turns out uh, that Parler uses completely sequential uh, op- uh, numbering Brilliant. system. Uh, there's no control over access to those, so you could just start at one uh, and just I fetch everything uh, Ooh, all the way through to good. the end. Now, it gets worse. It does get worse. That's now so this... about this story. So this wasn't a hack. So this was... Somebody just accessing the so data in a way every that... every data, all the data. Um, but what was also stored there, so what mod... Uh, we'd learned this, we must have learned this like at least a decade ago, uh, that when you take a picture on your phone, it embeds a lot of metadata, like your geolocation, the phone, and other bits and pieces. Uh, and most modern platforms when you upload that, and Parler is does this when you upload it, they strip all that data out and put a a safe version up so that people can't track you uh stalk you over the internet uh turns out Parler didn't actually delete those uh, <laughs> but there's there's more there's more oh it's great um, it's great so um so he's got all that he pulled all of that as well, so all these images with all the geodata in them. Uh, and then it keeps going and you're getting more. And Parler were told, like, when when the platform, when uh, Google uh, and Apple, they went up, they said, what we need you to do is we will consider Sorry, leaving you on. I
0: didn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, can you stop saying Google on the podcast? Can you just stop saying it? Or turn her uh, off or something? <laughs> um. So... What happened
1: uh, is Parler were told, uh, we need you to filter. Like, we need you to delete stuff if it's inappropriate. And Parler said, all right, we'll try and do that. Turns out they didn't actually delete anything. They just marked it as deleted. Uh, so it wasn't visible. So we recovered all of the deleted things as well, uh, which is the stuff they were told to go. Uh, and that 's all now public, uh, and people have been mapping it, and they 've got the names of the individuals with their g o i p of them in the, the Capitol building uh, and <laughs> like it's there 's heat maps of tracking their movements across the capital, doing all this like it is just a cluster uh, and there 's a lot of data there uh, and then they went offline um so it
2: was- it was brilliant during this whole thing because I was obsessed with it. I was obsessed. With it. I was on Twitter. I was reading all the tweets about it, like, and the the sequence of how they how. People, because it caused the the capture was broken at one point, so that didn't. So there was no check to people, so people were scripting the sign up before they before they found this idle vulnerability or you know, but poor coding practice. They had flooded Parler, so Parler was already now dead on its feet. Of course, you didn't need because of the Twilio thing. You didn't need to prove your identity, so people were just in it. And of course then there was everybody was just like making fun of all the like stupid racist posts that were in there and that was that was hilarious in its own right and then they found this but of course the internet then clubbed together and people were scripted it was such a massive community effort I know it was one particular person was doing found the vulnerability but he he shared all of his scripts on uh, github and open source them all so that they could parallelize the download of it and share out getting the kind of um uh, chunks out of this data because it, it was terabytes and terabytes and then to sort of um, uh, crowdsource and crowd share the storage costs of doing this kind of mass archiving uh, activity and then they're sharing the um, XIF metadata so then people can then go and do the kind of heat maps and I've seen examples where they've gone, right, Oh, wouldn't it be interesting to see how many uh, posts and images are shared from within, like, say, uh, from a uh, law enforcement office? Because there's, like, some speculation, perhaps, that law enforcement were somehow involved in some of the riots or, or like, prevalent in parlor. And so then somebody, like, literally minutes later has done all the GIS uh, analytics on it and put heat maps about the, the likelihood of a person posting on or, or a picture or an image or video that's on parlor next, to a, a law enforcement office it's absolutely fantastic
0: the open source intelligence that's been done obviously it's hot, it's entertaining it is still people it is still people's data um, it, whether we like the political views of those people or not, our photos my, PII though. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, suppose, I suppose, Chris, from my perspective, if those people are committing a criminal offence,
0: they aren't all, are they? This goes back to this I, is back to the mass surveillance no, ruling no. that we recently had, right? You can't, you can't just say because we don't like some of the people who use this platform, and because they some of them may have been involved potentially in criminal activity, that therefore we should be able to access all of the data of all of the people. In that platform
3: but i i would argue it's the it's the platform's fault right because if if they didn't strip the data out
1: with the exception of the geodata everything in there is a matter of public record these people are they've posted okay. it's like okay. going on to twitter going oh no you read my tweets how dare you some people do it's do that like it's <laughs> and they do. However, once you put it in the public domain, you've lost the right to privacy.
0: Yes, true. Agreed. Um, what about Twilio's role in all of this? They were providing a layer of security that they then decided to remove. How do we feel about that?
2: I hear what where you're, you're going with that, that they disabled the Twilio and therefore perhaps there's some sort of expectation of security on there. But if a key part of our security architecture was disabled... I think as a platform administrator, you would turn the whole thing off, wouldn't you?
1: Fail
0: closed. Mm. Fail closed for security.
2: Yeah, what Kev said.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Twilio made pretty clear that they weren't involved with with Parler's uh, failure to secure their their site. They made clear to them that they had um, breached their acceptable use policy, which I guess was the the route that you know uh, Amazon, uh, Apple, and Google had also gone down um, in terms of uh, in terms of finding ways to take them offline. Um, it just. It, it just is interesting to me that it kind of involved a a security layer that you know obviously wasn't there anymore Parlor have said they're coming back they're
3: going to go but i assume they're going to go some bulletproof hosting trump said he's going to make his own he's going to make his own platform i can't wait to see that see how... <laughs> yeah.
1: if they come back up I can see the community, the security community
0: immediately jumping on them and looking for any more potential security vulnerabilities. Uh, Which so... they will responsibly disclose and go through the process of making sure that that company is given the opportunity to fix those vulnerabilities, I'm sure. Yeah,
1: so whilst I might not agree with all the content that's in Parlour, if anybody from Parlour listening, please, for the love of all things holy, get a pen test before you go back online.
2: And a bug bounty programme.
0: and a bug bounty program I did promise that we would talk about Sunburst uh, very briefly and we will because um, CrowdStrike who have been directly involved in investigating the SolarWinds supply chain attack and and what we're actually talking about here is what happened to SolarWinds in order for them to be uh, compromised just to be clear, not what happened afterwards, um, have, uh, said that they have found a third malware strain directly involved in, uh, in that hack. So actually Kev, we haven't really talked about much of the, um, the kind of origins of the attack. So perhaps you can fill us in. What do we actually know about this now so far, including this new sunspot malware that they're, yeah, they're I think saying we,
1: they, found. we kind of touched on it last time when we were talking about jet brains. Um, but we know that uh, Team City is the uh, build server that is used uh, within uh, SolarWinds. and we know that the attackers uh, compromised that. And the CrowdStrike report actually gives us a a really good timeline uh, of exactly when these things happened. Um, so it was like they've been in there for a significant amount of time. Um, but the thing we were missing uh, was exactly how solar winds were compromised uh, so the article came out which was very suggestively saying that JetBrains was somehow involved not true JetBrains uh, was just the server uh, CrowdStrike came out with this um, this article saying they found Sunspot um, and this isn't something like I said. this isn't something that would impact uh, the affected organizations or the potentially affected organizations this was what was used to compromise the build server and it's very clever uh, we've we've said this a lot the the threat uh, the threat group behind this uh they've painstakingly tried to stay under the radar uh they've been clever they've
0: been quiet and they've been like really methodical in their approach I mean they've done a good job of that because according to this timeline this whole thing started at the beginning of september 2019
1: uh, yeah, that's when they first gained access to SolarWinds. Winds, um, and then there's a, a like a month, period, a couple of months of testing, um, and then they deploy the the malware um, on there to uh, to put the implant in, and then they remove it. So it's really clever. But what this specific malware does is it doesn't actually. We thought they'd compromised the build server and changed something on the build server. What this malware did is it sat there and it monitored the build server, looking at the commands that were being sent and uh, so telling the build server to go and build this. And if it detected a specific set of build commands, uh, it would then go and move its malware into the right location so that the build server would pick up that instead of the real stuff and then it would move it back out again. So it was really clever at staying like just under the radar. So even if you had gone into the build server, you might there's there's a very low chance you would have been able to see something based on on what this article is saying. Um, and then uh, once it was out, uh, once they'd affected enough people, they just removed the malware, which effectively removed uh, the uh, the build server from doing anything more.
0: Like it's really interesting. Almost two months of testing time, so they were prepared to wait it out for two months while they while they tested to see whether what they'd built would work on that on that build server.
1: Yeah, and I think we've actually got examples of the stuff they used to to test code injections with. We can see very early on where they built a a class in the DLL that was completely empty, didn't do anything, uh, didn't function at all, but did exist. Uh, so that um, like. I suppose the attackers actually had a licensed Orion build server somewhere and were looking for that coming all the way through the supply chain. And then what it did is like, hey, that works. Uh, let's start staging some actual stuff in there. Like really interesting,
0: uh, super clever stuff. And what is this, what is this solar leaks thing?
2: Uh, we're going to buy all the data, Chris. It's a million dollars. Sneezing.
0: It's a website that's on
1: the internet and on the dark net. Um, and basically, on this site, uh, if you believe what it said, which I can't say I do, uh, we are putting data found during our recent adventure for sale. And then it lists uh, 2.6 gig of Windows source code, f- uh, 1.7 gig of Cisco source code plus internal bug tracker, uh, all SolarWinds uh, source code, including Orion and Customer Portal, uh, and the FireEye Private Red Team tools, all individually uploaded to Mega, encrypted for sale, uh, or buy them all now for the 1 million uh, US dollars. And that's it. I mean, there's no proof. um, There's no... I mean, of all the places they've been, like, we know they were in DOJ and they got 3% of mailboxes. That's the thing you leak, not the FireEye tools, which FireEye have... Yeah. Yeah.
2: Plus, they've undervalued it, and and
0: also, so where are they? Where are they? Like, how are they publicising this? Are they also publicising this on forums and stuff like this, or like what are they? Who who's the target? I'm just I'm confused. (laughs) Who's the target market for this?
1: I don't know. Now, what I will say is. I could build this in a couple of hours. Like, there's no proof in there. It's file names of a nondescript size uh, that have been encrypted with a key that doesn't prove anything. Uh, so, yeah, this uh, this is fud. I, I don't. But they, see but this they, being they real. said
0: so. There's a, there is a, there is a very informative um, FAQ. Uh, I don't know if you've got down that far, Kev. There's a very informative <laughs> FAQ on this website, and it, and it says question. We'll do all these because they're fun. Like <laughs> question is this really happening can you provide proof who wants to answer yes and yes um that's good so that there we are we've been (laughs) they told us kev they've got proof
1: sorry you're right yeah no um yeah i'm i'm sorry why no more details we aren't fully done yet and we want to preserve the most
0: of our current access consider this a first batch oh okay i am a vendor and want my yes it's highly likely i'm someone from cisco or microsoft just cruising around the dark web looking to see if anyone's flogging my source code um i am a vendor and want my data back talk to us okay i will uh, can i add you on signal <laughs> that's not one of the questions i made that up um why not leak it for free nothing comes free in this world how are we contacting them? What's going on? And why are we not all contacting them to wind them up about giving them big money? Well, there's been an
2: update. Have you seen this update? I did not seen this update. They're this considering
1: serious partners only. So this is how we will be dealing with inquiries. Send exactly 100 XMR, uh, which is 16,672 US dollars. Uh, send exactly this much. they just below add a payment id with your email address so we can contact you back
0: <laughs> okay oh, I love this at the end okay so this 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 bit this bit of the site is definitely for you right some hints on how we got our data followed by I what I think is a hash and then underneath it says people with knowledge will know so do you know Kevin if you don't then they're one step ahead of you
1: yeah so th- this, is, this is potentially their proof so Uh, they've signed this with a signature, so they'll be able to validate that they were the author of this. Uh, And that looks like it's potentially a file hash. Um, So if they've hashed some real data, then potentially uh, whoever owns that data uh, would be able to say, yes, that hash is in fact true. And then they can show the private key that goes with that signature and they can validate that they were in fact the author of this document.
2: You know what the biggest proof that this is FUD is, though? The price is ridiculous. If they have got all of that stuff,
1: yeah, a million dollars is an absolute billy bargain. Like If you consider the threat actor or the accused threat actor... Feels wrong, doesn't it? It just doesn't feel right. It's Yeah, it feels
0: FUD to me. All right, we're coming to the end, and so that can only mean one thing. Um, It's time for Hackers Could. Um, Two to look at this week, and I've looked at neither of them, so... Um, I'm literally. I'm just going to go in and read the headline cold. So the ha- the headline doesn't have hackers good in it. So I will just read the headline and then, um, and then you can perhaps explain to me what's going on. Amazon's Ring neighbors app exposed users' precise locations and home addresses. Hang on, I feel like we to- I feel like we said this oh, well, was a so thing I mean, that could happen. This is exactly
1: what we've just said happened to Parler. Ring itself is arguably fine. Uh, Ring has a companion app called Neighbor, uh, which is effectively a neighborhood watch style app where you can post things. We
0: we have discussed it pre we have discussed it previously on the podcast in the context in the context of a story about privacy. So yeah, I think we know what it is.
1: Turns out there's another idol, not that kind of idol, Paul. Oh, <laughs> uh, there's an indirect object reference, uh, which basically means you can go through and extract all of the posts from neighbor and all of those posts when you do it that way uh, contain the gps uh, latitude longitude and address of the person uh, who uploaded the camera Uh, so uh, if you were to have done that you could have extracted uh, the data for a lot of people uploading stuff to there Uh, last year uh, gizmodo found a very similar bug in the app that also revealed hidden location data so not the first time they've had this done to them
2: it's kind of a, we need to make, we need to judge this up. I think the headline writers have really messed this up because what they've done is they've they've taken like an actual story, like the Neighbours app's got some poor um, privacy settings, and they've not really, got, they've not, it's lazy journalism, frankly, because they've not <laughs> gone the next level to like spe- rampantly speculate about what hackers could. So I think I'm going to try and make up a hackers could headline here. Uh, otherwise, um <clears throat> I haven't actually thought of one, so I'm really going to have to think on my, <laughs> my toes here. <clears throat> uh, ha- hacker- hackers could find ways to break into your house based on surveilling you remotely using your own doorbell camera. Yeah, and that's what it it's needs quite, in it's quite it, doesn't long...
0: it? It's quite it's long, but right. the headline <laughs> does need in it. The headline needs in it, like, hackers could f- burgle you. Something, Use, something. Yeah, look like, no, no, at yeah. you using your own camera. Spy, yeah, you on, you. spy, spy on, you. on you, spy you using on own your own camera. camera. There you are, see. I mean, you, they can't. Like it's, yeah,
1: well, it's actually, only it's, 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 good, good, it? it's only stuff, stuff you've chosen good. Good. to share. Yeah, okay. okay well, actually,
2: but you have
0: posted it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you've you've chosen to oh, share hey. it. you know what's good though? Ring have let us know that they take customer privacy and security extremely seriously
1: and this is only the (laughs) second time this exact same thing has happened to them they're taking it pretty seriously (laughs) oh
0: oh, the other thing that ring pointed out was that much of the blame really was on users who didn't use best practice (laughs) (laughs) wow (laughs) wow Well, I know you've just installed an internet connected doorbell, but I think it'd be good if you gend up on best practices around security like multi-factor authentication. (laughs) Oh, thanks a lot, Ring. I thought you were just going to take photos of people making deliveries.
2: I don't think there's much more to that story.
0: This last one does handily have hackers could in the title, um but I reached the end of my technical understanding literally after the headline. So, Kev, I'm going to read the headline and then you are going to talk about it. Right, so ready. <clears throat> New attack could let hackers clone your Google Titan two factor authentication security. Actually, I do understand the okay so i understand what it's suggesting (laughs) i understand what it's suggesting but is it real like or is it hackers could because it's like could let hackers clone is it really hard to do i'm i'm gonna get there in a minute so you're gonna have a rant (sighs) that means you're gonna rant (laughs) settle in everybody (laughs) (laughs) another cup of tea
1: a handful of years ago now i can't remember exactly when uh google basically mandated 2FA on all of their accounts. So if you're a Google employee with a Google email address, you're mandated at having 2FA. And as part of that, they basically built their own 2FA key, or they bought and uh, repurposed one, uh, which is the Google Titan 2FA key. Uh, And I think their stats are something like, since they launched this, they've not had a single successful uh, phishing attack against user that's managed to compromise user account uh it's incredibly brilliant uh and i love uh two fake keys physical keys uh so when this came out um i was incredibly uh, excited um by the the headline uh and then uh you start reading through and it all sounds really interesting uh, and then you get to the the bit uh sorry
0: before you read this kev how far down the article is this information that you are? Uh
1: right at the end, I'm pretty sure.
0: Oh great, okay, good.
3: <laughs> Classic hackers could. All right, go on. Okay, but I could so I read from the top and I was like, Oh, this is really interesting because it says you can pull off the private key yes. from one of these keys. Oh, it's so it's terrifying. Oh, yeah. So that I was yeah. like, Oh, clearly that's just wreck <laughs> them all and you got to the end. <laughs>
1: This, this this was terrifying like you can extract the private key which basically breaks everything wide open you can clone the keys and then um bypass to fa uh and then you get to the the key recovery attack while doubtless severe needs to meet a number of prerequisites in order to be successful
0: here we go and like, does it involve the, parking in a driveway uh, nine meters away <laughs> like of all the ones
1: of these we've gone through like let me just let me start off and An attacker will first have to steal the target's login and password of an account secured by the physical key. So I must already have compromised you. Now, we could argue that with shared password reuse and credential dumps, that one's feasible. I Mm. might be able to get your details. Cool. Moving on. I then need to stealthily gain access to your Titan security key. I need Uh, to get it off your person. uh. All right, we're getting... Okay, maybe I can get close enough to grab it off you. Uh, I then need to acquire expensive equipment costing about $12,000. All right, now we're getting a bit silly. I now need to write the custom software in order to use this $12,000 worth of uh, stuff.
3: What is this I now equipment?
1: Need, uh, there's a great picture of it. Uh, uh, but the next thing I need to do is I need to take a hot air gun to remove the plastic casing from your Titan key, which I have stealthily stolen from you without you realizing. And then I'm going to spend six hours with it plugged into what might be an electron microscope while I capture uh, all of the side channel requests from it. At which point I can now clone your key and you won't have realized. So yeah, this is, this is not a hack as we'll be doing anytime soon. Or ever, like it's just ridiculous.
3: So it's basically if you steal the key, you'll eventually <laughs> get a copy of the key. Um But then you—if if you've got twelve grand, to spare. the original as well. <laughs> yes, because you've taken a heat gun to it.
0: I think you're going to notice if you try and give it back to somebody. It's going to look a little bit mangled.
3: The point about the keys is you have them, right? If you don't have them, they—they they kind of stop working. <laughs> like you would notice, right? <laughs> if someone stole it from you.
1: Yeah, it's like. Where's
0: my key been for the last six hours? Like... <laughs> <laughs> and why is it all melting? Credit to the person who wrote the article who has actually put the, the who has actually written this paragraph. Although the security of a hardware security key isn't diminished by the above attack due to the limitations involved, a potential exploitation in the wild is not inconceivable. <laughs> or is it kev or is it completely inconceivable
1: (laughs) i mean let's just argue for a second that i leave my two-factor authentication key just sat next to my laptop overnight when i leave because that's a sensible thing to to do (laughs) so you come in and you take my key you destroy it now, if you've got the keys off, you might be able to just clone a key and then replace my key. But if, if you got I'm going to notice if key, my key's been replaced if, with if a brand you new one. Key, why you've wouldn't got you use the use key, you've got the key. Yeah. <laughs>
3: like, if you've taken the key off them and you've got the password, just use the key yeah. <laughs> and don't, you don't need to clone it. Yeah. <laughs> that, have what are you key. cloning it
1: for? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, it, maybe. Yeah. It's, it's utterly ridiculous. Just it's just utterly key. ridiculous. <laughs> oh.
0: Well, I enjoyed that. That was the entire purpose. <laughs> of uh this segment of the podcast. So, thank you very much. That <laughs> Ticked all the boxes of the brief. Um, and on that, there are no there are no hilarious bombshells about two-factor authentication, it is what it is. Um so on that bombshell we must come to an end. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe, rate, and comment wherever you get your audio content. And if you want to know more about immersive labs, you can find us at immersivelabs.com or follow us on Twitter at immersive labs. Until next time, from all of us. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>